save our wildlife, save the environment, save our world. It all starts with a little knowledge. Welcome to Our Wild World with L.A. Weiss. There is so much that's being done and can be done with help from specialists and marginalized community groups to you. We'll discuss the future of Africa, the wildlife, and the people, and show you how it affects the entire planet. Now, here is Ellie Weiss from the Wild Eyes Foundation. Good morning and welcome to Our Wild World. Today, my guest is Eric Schmidt, Executive Director of Wildlife Protection Solutions, also known as WPS. It's a nonprofit whose mission is to use technology for the conservation of endangered species and ecosystems. Eric has worked with the founders of WPS, Dave Widener and Sue Thompson, for many years at the WPS for-profit technology companies. Eric and the founders all have technology backgrounds and a deep passion for wildlife conservation, and they saw an ability to use their technology and expertise to help wildlife conservation in the field. Specifically, they saw a need for a monitoring system for rangers and managers to monitor entire reserves from poaching by integrating various data from field camera traps and emplaced sensors into one dashboard, which in essence provides eyes on the ground to these areas or a reserve from a central location. As well as being WPS executive director, Eric spends much of his time in the field implementing these sensors and camera traps and monitoring systems. I first encountered WPS at our local American Renewable Energy Day, our day, here in Aspen when Dave Widener, along with uh, other guests that we've had on this program, Damian Mander, and uh, the director of uh, Racing Extinction, Luis Ahoyos, and they were panel speakers specifically discussing wildlife issues, poaching, and species loss, and how th- those effects relate to energy and security needs that have global impacts and consequences. I was intrigued by the WPS system's approach and the possibilities in both large landscape and species survival projects in the field in these remote areas where um, that are often vast and where anytime day or night incursions can happen and there's a need to provide the rangers and managers with real-time data to be able to respond quickly to both human and wildlife conflicts, safety, or security. And you, our listeners, can learn more at www.wildlifeprotectionsolutions.org. So that's a bit of an intro. So now we've got Eric online. Good morning, Eric. Good morning. Thank you so much for having me here. Uh, It's great to be talking with you. We've been working on this for quite a while, so it's nice that we finally connected. And I'm looking forward to digging in and learning more about WPS and um, and ways that our listeners can actually get involved. So why don't we jump on in? Why don't you give me a little bit of your background and how WPS began? Yeah. Well, I guess uh, my background really has two flavors to it. One is uh, I I like to refer to myself as a a biologist by training and a technologist by happenstance. Uh, I graduated with an accelerated uh, master's and bachelor's combined degree from the University of Colorado at Boulder, focusing on uh, conservation biology. And after that, I had done uh, work for several years uh, amongst various government organizations 
organizations and things, and overall got a little bit of a flavor for what it's like to work in the field of biology, primarily on the the government and public facing side. Uh, Over time, I found myself increasingly drawn into my other interest, which was technology, and sort of at that point, my career took a a side turn through the world of business, uh, which is where I met uh, the the two founders of Wildlife Protection Solutions, uh, Dave Widener and Sue Thompson. Uh, I began with uh, some of their technology companies and was doing things from the world of uh, everything from implementation of uh, high-tech programs uh, to sales engineering and even eventually into sales itself. And then uh, over time, we said, hey, let's get back to what our major passions all were, which was, uh, you know, working to preserve wild lands and, and endangered species. So we said, let's go ahead and uh, found uh, Wildlife Protection Solutions and really put our energies toward uh, uh, making the world a better place for everyone and especially endangered species. So there's two aspects to Wildlife Protection Solutions. There's the for-profit technology company, and then there's the nonprofit where people can donate, which helps implement the projects on the ground in the areas you work. Right. Yes, that's uh, sort of a model that we've tried to adopt to essentially make the nonprofit more self-sustaining than traditional uh, donor models where, you know, you're constantly seeking grants and uh, you've always got to try and find that next tranche of funding to get more projects done. So we've tried to apply this technology in areas where we believe there can be a uh, perpetual revenue stream that can help support field projects in the long term. Now, that's very clever. And that is a... um new model approach that hasn't been implemented often in recent conservation uh, efforts, you know, with the whole NGO model of selling a product and um, doing the eco-tourism safaris and literally bringing more people in uh, to a landscape that may not need it and um, finding ways to work with the communities. So um, let's talk a little bit about what W, what these tech solutions are. Let's, let's, I mean, it's high tech. So what is it? <laughs> yeah, great question. Fundamentally, what we do in the field is um, we focus on the practical application of field sensors and what a lot of people refer to as the Internet of Things out into, frankly, very difficult places to have technology like rainforests or mangrove swamps or African savannas uh, with the ultimate intention of being able to keep an eye on what's going on in these remote locations. As you're very aware, uh, at any given protected area, there's a lot of space and a few people to cover all of it uh, to really know and understand what's happening in any given part of a park at any given time. So we really view technology as a potential force multiplier that can give us eyes and ears all around an important ecological habitat uh, so that first responders can go and intervene if there's, for example, a a poaching or wildlife crime event and hopefully prevent uh, the death of any animals or uh, deforestation before it gets really underway. So your sensors and so this this net 
or this web of technology and um, uh, systems, uh, the the electronics themselves, consists of camera traps and sensors and obviously microphones of some sort, and they are somehow wirely wirelessly connected to a centralized location nearby so that the ability to respond rapidly happens. So I'm assuming, and this is where I'm I'm asking, so are these set up on the boundary lines or that as well as within, let's say, where the rhinos typically hang out or where the species you're working with hangs out? Yeah, great question. And the answer is sort of all of the above. In a lot of instances, we have, you know, strongest connectivity along edge areas. And so uh, we work a lot with the local field rangers and teams to identify common intrusion and entry points in many of the places we work, especially in rainforest environments and things. uh, They're often not passable except for certain roads or trails going in. So if you can identify those choke points, bridges, incidentally, or other great ones, uh, you can protect vast areas of habitat beyond those by just placing a few key sensors in certain areas. Um, So those are good examples of, of edge locations. But then we do go a step farther in identifying core elements of the habitat that we know are going to be critical. Uh, For example, for um, elephants and rhinos, we'll identify uh, watering holes and wallows and make sure that we rig those up so that we can keep an eye on them, not only to kind of track how frequently we're seeing animals there, but that would also potentially be a spot that poachers would begin tracking animals from. Uh, So if we see that activity occurring, we know we've got people who are in the region that we need to go, uh, you know, apprehend. And then we also use, I guess you might say, less sophisticated technology, more along the lines of traditional camera traps that we will spread through throughout a, a given protected area just to get a better understanding of what are the animals there, um, you know, what are their numbers and densities, and really uh, use that information for stakeholders to better understand the critical need to protect these wildlands as well. So it's not just a security system that we hear about. It's not just drones. It's not just keeping eyes in the sky. It's a multi-level, multi-layered, integrated system for managers as well as rangers. Yeah, we're big believers that the more we can... Uh, data sharing f- uh, with other organizations, the better off the the wildlife and the ecosystems will be in the long term. So we try to establish very open lines of communication and platforms. That's great. Very exciting. And I do want to reiterate, you, you mentioned a very important point, the choke points. And a lot of our listeners are people who live in, let's say, urban areas in the Western world and don't get out into nature and view it more through the virtual window of TV. The reality of these areas is um, a lot of people don't understand that there are just certain areas where you can cross in. I guess uh, an example would be like a wildebeest migration where they're crossing a river. They can't just go any old place. They have to find a way. So there are choke points or areas that are more accessible to in 
access the protected area from the outside. So this is where you, you focus a lot of your systems to, to watch those areas, right? Exactly. Okay. Yes. And even in uh, habitats where um, you wouldn't suspect there's as many choke points as you might realize, when you really begin working with the local people, they can almost always identify, you know, people don't go over here because actually there's quite a lot of thorn trees, that, and that might not be Im- immediately obvious when you're first surveying a, a, an area, but it is one of the uh, biggest reasons why we always start with uh, kind of these ground assessments and and really go around the entire protected area with the people who are there day to day before we uh, introduce any technology. Well, I'm glad you brought that up because that was going to be my next question is how do you integrate with the local people so it doesn't feel like somebody's coming in and watching them or feeling like they're spied upon and, you know, accessing and using the local knowledge. So the community is, is an important part of whenever you set up. Absolutely. That's a big piece of it. And the other component that is so critical to our operations is building that great relationship with the people on the ground so that they can really understand what uh, the technology does, how it works, how to maintain it, how to set up new ones, because ultimately uh, it's important for us to really scale this up as much as we can. And so we need the local presence of people on the ground there and their buy-in to really be able to make use of the tools once we bring those out. So it's not Uh, like your staff is sitting there doing all this. You, as you said, you train up the locals so everybody can use it in situ. That's correct. And then we do also uh, take advantage of the notion of time shifting in that because all of these uh, remote field sensors wind up connected more or less to the cloud, uh, we provide that information not only to the local people, but we can also look in on it ourselves and in that way act as a bit of a backup uh, for folks like the the rangers in the field. Uh, Sort of like... A home security system like Apex or one of those, you have a, the ability to monitor as well in your headquarters. Exactly. And the added benefit of that is, uh, you know, here in America, when it's daytime, it's nighttime in a lot of the places around the world where we're monitoring this critical habitat. So it can be in the middle of our work day and, uh, you know, we get to look in and see what all the animals are up to uh, all around the world. So it's pretty incredible. That's exciting. So pretty much like 24-7 coverage um, from the cloud. So a, a good use of this. So uh, a question, what happens um, when, let's say, the cloud goes down? Do you provide your own, like, wireless internet system? Is that a part of what WPS includes in the package of all these censoring? Because a lot of these areas don't have cell phone towers or internet. Exactly. It can be. And that's part of what we uncover on the initial field assessments, uh, where there is reasonable infrastructure in the form of existing cellular towers or other types of communication. We can piggyback off those in cases where we're working in extremely remote areas where there is little to no connectivity. uh, We can establish uh, a local 
uh, long-range Wi-Fi or intranet uh, in the given park and then figure out how to beam that information out through some sort of an internet-connected backbone. We've also used uh, customized um, uh, cameras and equipment to allow us to uh, communicate from camera to camera in real time in a repeater network mode. Oh, wow. That, this is very exciting. So we've got some more to dig into and sort of um, get deeper into the layers of what WPS does. But right now, we have to step away for a short break. So listeners, you're listening to Our Wild World and my guest, Eric Schmidt of Wildlife Protection Solutions. And once again, find them uh, at their website, uh, www.wildlifeprotectionsolutions.org. Follow them on Facebook, Twitter, and as well as Our Wild World and Wild Eyes Foundation on Facebook and we will be right back. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Wildlife. No wild, no life. Big, scary, beautiful. Predators are in danger. Without them, our rivers dry up. Our forests don't grow. Our communities go hungry. Our biodiversity crumbles. Wildlife drives our planet's ecosystems. The wild effect. It's in our hands. Ellie founded Wild Eyes Foundation because she loves Africa and to remind us that there are more harmonious and less destructive ways to live on our planet. She does this so we may be able to look inside ourselves and understand the deeper partnerships that connect us all and to take responsibility for our lives and our Earth. Africa is one of our last remaining wild places and the origins of humanity. It is irreplaceable. Africa is at a crossroads, on the brink of possibilities. We can choose to let its wildlife be lost forever, or we can help save it. In Africa, it is still possible to make a difference. Visit us at www.wildeyes.org to learn how you can make a difference. We only have one Earth. If we don't care, who will? W-I-L-D-I-Z-E dot O-R-G. Would you like to be the change you see needed in the world? Are you ready to make a difference? If so, tune in to Voice for Truth with hosts Sharon Wyckoff and Jude Albright. Every show will be filled with inspiring content to support you in recognizing your greatness. Guests will share their expertise. Youths will tell how they are making a difference. You too can be a voice for truth. Listen live every Monday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, noon Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Your favorite Voice America Talk Radio Network shows and hosts are in your car, outdoors, and wherever you need them to be. Listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. News. Opinion. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. You're listening to Ellie Weiss and Our Wild World. We want to hear from you. Call into the program at 1-866-472-5788. 
That's 1-866-472-5788. If you'd rather send us an email, please send it to wildeyes at wildeyes.org. That's W-I-L-D-I-Z-E at W-I-L-D-I-Z-E dot O-R-G. Now, back to our wild world. And welcome back, Ellie Weiss, our wild world, and my guest, Eric Schmidt of Wildlife Protection Solutions. So in the first section, we got a good understanding of what these solutions are, the technology that's implemented, and how, it's get set, how it gets set up. So, um, Eric, why don't you tell us a little bit more of where WPS is working? It's not just one area. You're, you're global. Yeah, well, increasingly we, we are working towards that. Uh, currently, headquarters are in Denver, Colorado, and we have uh, out west of Denver a initial field test area that we apply technology to before we take it out into the real world of the wild. Uh, but from there, we have uh, research stations set up in South Africa as well as Indonesia on the island of Sumatra. And then we also have partner projects in um, Hawaii, Vietnam, and we are just getting one established in Madagascar. Oh, wow. So give us a a little uh, overview of what you're doing, what species and environments that you're protecting in these various areas. Yeah. Well, in South Africa, it's kind of the quote-unquote the big five, like you might suspect, elephants, rhinos, uh, leopards, you know, the all of the various hoofstock and, and things there that are sort of under severe poaching threat. Um, in Indonesia, that's kind of a whole different ball game. Uh, almost every major mammal species is under some form of threat uh, in Indonesia. So almost anything that anyone can do in that environment is really powerful. What are some of those species so our listeners yeah, well, understand the differences between areas? Right. Indo- Indonesia is interesting in that it has sort of an analogy to its own big five. It's got um, tigers, tapirs, rhinos, which most people don't uh, even know there are Southeast Asian species of rhinos, as well as elephants and um, a whole variety of other uh, mammals. In fact, of the 95 major mammal species of Indonesia, some 87 of those are threatened uh, in one fashion or another. And when you compare that to Africa's 69 major mammal species, only 14 are threatened. So we really view Indonesia as being one of the almost, you could say, ground zero for yeah. extinctions. Yeah. Well, Asia, as we're well aware, has a whole different sense and sensibility of what can be utilized and uh, wildlife trafficking of course and they have a different relationship to animals conservation and a different sense of how these can be utilized or protected and and, uh, saved we won't get into that too much because we're not going to point fingers so what we're doing here is providing um, to the Asian markets the other side of protecting endangered species and and habitats and so what is the education aspect that you do in asia to highlight the need for these species survival yeah not just asia but also well beyond that Uh, one of the things that really focuses us and drives us is uh, documenting what are the most critical needs 
for uh, species conservation. And, and one of the things that we've done to kind of address that is create a series of apps that are available through our, our website um, that people can pull up on their mobile devices. And these are fairly unique in that we scrubbed a variety of different data sets to pull together information about really how many animals of a given species are left and kind of rank order those from the fewest to the most. And a lot of the things that were surprising to us is there are a whole group of species that have less than a thousand individuals left. And um, that's big news to a lot of people. For example, the most endangered primate in the world is the Hainan black crested gibbon. And there are only 20 individuals left. So if you think about that, that's uh, 10 males and 10 females out there on one small island off the coast of China. So they're, you know, right at the the brink of extinction. And we feel like uh, examples like that are really key to focus on for long-term conservation efforts. So one of your partners, I noticed, and you, you, you partner with um, WWF, U.S. Wildlife Tracking Alliance, and IUCN. So and also smart and I I don't know what smart is, but what you were just telling us in being able to uh, do census of numbers of species that's critical information for the IUCN, which is the International Union for Conservation of Flora and Fauna and Endangered Species. That's the red list. Mm-hmm. Yep, absolutely. So, so that's that's a big part of when the IUCN and the Center for Biological Diversity and uh, the big international conferences take place, uh, you're, you participate in those to provide this information, correct? Yes, and we also um, work to uh, understand the information that those groups have garnered. And then, as I mentioned, you know, one of the things that IUCN does that is so fantastic is they kind of store all of this in a database. Um, it's oftentimes fairly technical to get at, however. And so we've tried to look at sources where we can, you know, try and elucidate this information in a more readily available, easy to use type approach. And that's where kind of our apps have come in. So tell um, us so, what some of these apps are. Yeah. So they uh, range from specific looks at m overall health of mammal species, as I mentioned, uh, providing information on, uh, you know, how many animals there are from the least number remaining to the most, as well as detailed biological information about all of these. And then we'll sort of subdivide this uh, list and create breakout apps, if you will, uh, for a given region of the world. For example, we've got one on Indonesia. We've got one on sub-Saharan Africa. We've done them for Antarctica. But we've also used this technology platform for other purposes as well. For example, we ha found there was uh, interest in the community to learn more about best uh, practices for camera traps. And so we created one that catalogs all of the different tools that we've run into in the field and how well they work in different environments based on our experience. Uh, we've, uh, we're currently working on another one uh, with a group that is focused on compiling information on how to prevent human-wildlife conflict, especially as it relates to elephants and what are the various 
mechanisms you can use to uh, keep elephants and humans from uh, coming into conflict um, and what are the costs associated with those, how effective are they, uh, what type of long-term maintenance. So we have an app that's designed to uh, really elucidate all of that for people uh, that should be coming out shortly as well. This is exciting. So I suggest our listeners go to the website www.wildlifeprotectionsolutions.org and click on the menu and the solutions uh, tab, which all these apps are listed. And you can actually take a look at them while you're listening to our program and see just how detailed and interesting and accessible these apps are. There, There's one, two, three, four, five, six listed on the website, the WPS Watch, the WPS Apps, WPS Tech Share, WPS Portal, the UAV program, and Animal Intelligence. So, WPS is more than just a high-tech electronic um, component solution, um, where you know you you install the equipment and walk away. You've really created an integrated system that enables much more detailed outreach, education, and awareness that's available through these apps to anybody who's interested and has a smartphone, right? Right. And not only that, the other thing that we're especially proud of is the ability for uh, volunteers, after going through some amount of vetting by us, to participate in actual uh, field operations as well, in that they can, from around the world, potentially be in a position to monitor these various data feeds that we're pulling out of the wild. And if they see something that looks untoward, like uh, a potential poacher, um, take steps to directly intervene and uh, get in touch with us so we can uh, mobilize the, the field teams and, and make the interdictions to prevent wildlife crime. Well, that's really exciting. So listeners, um, you know, we have listeners all over the world. And um, so if you're looking for some solutions, I definitely suggest you check out the website and there's a way to contact uh, WPS and speak to Eric or the founders and find out how this technology and this system could work for a protected area and a community area near you. So um, this is an opportunity for students as well who are um, looking for field experience, as you said, vetted, certainly have to have some skill sets. So it's not exactly volunteerism where you go in and play for a couple of months. This is serious work, but it is accessible to just about anyone who wants to get savvy on this and learn how to do this as a career. Yeah? Yeah, or even beyond that, we've had people who have... Um simply gotten our apps and, you know, pulled out their phone while they're on a lunch break and scanned through what the data is showing. And uh, um, if they see something interesting, let us know about it so we can take the appropriate steps to uh, to save wildlife. So it's kind of not only a, it's, it's kind of crowdsourcing. Right, exactly. We're definitely taking advantage of uh, the idea of crowdsourcing and, and citizen science. This is great. This is very exciting. So why don't we um, get into some of the success stories and some of the places where you're, you're working. You're, you'd mentioned the rhino in Indonesia and, of course, the rhino in South Africa. Uh, we don't have to get into particular places because it's not always a good idea to highlight where things are to the general audience. But tell us some of what 
the successes you've had where uh, WPS has been implemented? Sure. Um, In a few different instances, we've seen the uh, system be used for uh, a variety of different ways, one of them being, um, first and foremost, we deployed a, a set of field sensors out into a very remote part of a particular park. And we noticed that um, initially uh, there was a someone who we didn't recognize and none of the local staff recognized coming into this area about six o'clock in the morning local time. So we got in touch with the rangers and said, does anyone know this guy? No one did. And uh, we said, okay, let's go ahead and keep an eye on this. And the next day, sure enough, about 6 a.m. again, this person came in this time with a, uh, a friend and the particular camera caught them very clearly tracking animals. In this case, they were heads down looking at and pointing at different tracks in the ground. Uh, the following day, uh, this person came through 6 a.m. again, and by then, we sort of said, okay, we got the pattern now. So we coordinated with the, the local ranger team to go ahead and say, look, tomorrow morning, this guy's probably going to be there at 6 a.m. again. So they said, we'll set up an ambush. And sure enough, the uh, the next morning at 6, when the, the fellows came in to, again, engage in poaching, uh, they were met by the the ranger teams and they were uh, promptly apprehended and that chase went down right in front of the cameras and so we were pretty proud of that success. That's exciting and once again listeners go to the uh, website and there is a gallery and and some video available and there's some links listed on the guest page here with uh, information about Eric and WPS that will show some videos and some presentations. So um, that kind of leads me into uh, another thing um which we're going to have to take a break here shortly so we can continue this into the uh final section of our program today but how people so first off what we're we're getting this is a very real time rapid response abilities which allows you to track in real time and get a jump on potential illegal activities as well as if someone is hurt in the field or rangers are in danger so as we've discussed through the um two sections of this episode so far we've got the u.s base that can monitor real time what's going on in the where the systems are implemented plus the control center in the area the the protected area or the reserve on the ground so um Actually, I think I just talked enough there so we can take a little break now. And what we want to get into is uh, a bit more about um, what you're going to be doing next, what your goals are, and how people can get involved and what their donations go to. So, folks, stick with us while we're at this break. I suggest you go to the website and take a look at all the exciting things we're talking about. And we'll be right back with my guest, Eric Schmidt. And stick with us. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com Wildlife. No wild, no life. Big, scary, beautiful. Predators are in danger. 
Without them, our rivers dry up, our forests don't grow, our communities go hungry, our biodiversity crumbles. Wildlife drives our planet's ecosystems. The wild effect, it's in our hands. Ellie founded Wild Eyes Foundation because she loves Africa and to remind us that there are more harmonious and less destructive ways to live on our planet. She does this so we may be able to look inside ourselves and understand the deeper partnerships that connect us all and to take responsibility for our lives and our Earth. Africa is one of our last remaining wild places and the origins of humanity. It is irreplaceable. Africa is at a crossroads, on the brink of possibilities. We can choose to let its wildlife be lost forever, or we can help save it. In Africa, it is still possible to make a difference. Visit us at www.wildeyes.org to learn how you can make a difference. We only have one Earth. If we don't care, who will? W-I-L-D-I-Z-E dot O-R-G. Voice America presents a new kind of health awareness talk show, the Sharon Kleina Hour, Health, Environment, and the Power of Water. Show host Sharon Kleina interviews leading scientists to discover how each of us can become proactive in protecting our personal health environment in an increasingly unhealthy world. Every show offers new information that could save your life. The Sharon Kleina Hour is health from an environmental perspective your ultimate source for a personal environmental lifestyle. Listen Mondays at 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel and Wednesdays at 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Ellie Weiss and Our Wild World. We want to hear from you. Call into the program at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. If you'd rather send us an email, please send it to wildeyes at wildeyes.org. That's W-I-L-D-I-Z-E at W-I-L-D-I-Z-E dot O-R-G. Now, back to our wild world. And welcome back. This is Ellie Weiss, Our Wild World, with my guest Eric Schmidt of Wildlife Protection Solutions. So where we left off at the last section was some of the success stories and uh, of what happens when you have this kind of rapid response uh, connect- connectivity web on the ground with a backup system uh, off-site in, on another continent. So d- during our little break, Eric and I were speaking, um, and you were telling me about a rather interesting story. Uh, share that with our listeners, please. Yeah. In one particular protected area, we had deployed uh, as few as three cameras at, at the aforementioned choke points. 
And one night, about 2.30 or 3 in the morning uh, local time, uh, we had a team of poachers come in, essentially two scouts and then a rifleman who had a silenced high-powered weapon. Uh, so they were clearly after rhinos, and, and there were, in fact, three uh, rhinos in the area. But because it was so late, there were no rangers uh, on patrol in the area, but our cameras caught them. And in, in fact, the not only had the cameras caught them, one of our volunteers who were watching the feeds through our, our mobile app uh, saw these guys uh, coming through with the you know high-powered rifle clearly visible in the in the frame. And uh, the volunteer followed the standard procedures that we cover in training and got in touch with us. We were able to alert the game warden and uh, scramble the uh, rhino protection units. And they were able to go out immediately into the field. In fact, it was amazing to see them come through as images on the cameras as well, you know, all in real time. And this whole thing resulted in a firefight. Uh, in the end, the poachers dropped all their weapons and fled the area. And we were able to confirm that the three rhinos that were literally right, uh, they, were, they were stalking them. Uh, wound up being safe. So I love this story because it's a great example of how someone literally halfway around the world was the first responder to a poaching incident and directly was, you know, responsible for saving the lives of, of three endangered animals. This is incredibly exciting. So again, I strongly suggest our listeners, um, wherever you are, to visit this website and see how you can get involved. All the time on this program, we're talking about how people can turn their passion into action. And WPS, Wildlife Protection Solutions, offers a multitude of ways to get involved, um, from real-time tracking uh, across continents and to real-time alert systems on the ground, to, as Eric just said, to save three rhino. Who, who knew? Your citizen science and your ability, you being our listeners, um, can get involved and uh, – it, it crosses time zones in real time. So, Eric, tell us a bit more about this volunteer program. Yeah, we have a number of different ways that volunteers uh, can get involved. The one, as I mentioned, is uh, by simply monitoring the apps that bring these real-time camera feeds into uh, you know, people's handhelds or living rooms or what have you. Uh, the other thing that we're working on is uh, adding in artificial intelligence capabilities so that the system can also have a computer that's trying to analyze this data and identify things like poachers or endangered species and classify all of this data to some extent automatically as yet another backup. So we're soon to be launching a program whereby people can uh, log on to a web portal and uh, look at the more than 300,000 images we've collected over the past four years and begin classifying uh, different uh, aspects within the images like this is a rhino, this one's a leopard, this one's a giraffe, this one's a poacher, this one's a car, this one's a quad bike. Uh, and ultimately that will begin training the uh, artificial intelligence system that Google has created called TensorFlow that we're going to be using to uh, help monitor these feeds as well. This is really exciting because this is really a new frontier of how how much technology has progressed. And when you've got 
a series of experts, a team of experts such as you and Dave and Sue and all your staff and the board and your volunteers. So this information works for, as we said, the IUCN plus researchers and data and real-time tracking on census information, biological information, and uh, uh area landscape information so I, I strongly suggest folks get in touch and there's another thing uh, WPS offers if people are interested in either taking a tour of your facility or your headquarters or having a presentation by WPS and in, in, in their place how do you go about doing that absolutely yeah we're always open to new opportunities and new partnerships so if people are going to be or are around the Denver metro area, we uh, invite anyone to come in and you know spend a little time at our headquarters seeing how we monitor these in a um, sort of a, I almost refer to it as Rhino NORAD, but uh, <laughs> we've got a lot of screens and uh, they're all tuned into various uh, feeds around the uh, the world here. Um, so it's a lot of fun to see that. And then it's also great to take people out to our uh, initial testing sites out in Golden, Colorado. Uh, but we frequently travel as well and um, are happy to meet with people ar around the U.S. Um, and because of the cloud-based nature of our system, uh, we can pretty much show it off almost anywhere you like uh, with as little as our mobile phone or uh, a, a laptop and a projector and that sort of thing. So it's a great opportunity to get in front of people and, you know, seeing is believing and people like to see this stuff. And and what it sounds like is through your systems, I, I kind of picture this kind of like CIA intelligence-based big room with all these monitors and people watching in real time, which is kind of cool. And uh, sci-fi meets reality right right here at the crossroads of, of wildlife protection solutions. So what we talked about in the beginning is that the WPS for-profit tech companies support the WPS nonprofit projects on the ground, right? So since WPS covers a lot of the operational costs, what when people donate, where do the donations go? Yeah, donations are really all about scaling this hardware side of things. So uh, as you mentioned, we're in the, the fortunate position to have our administrative costs 100% covered by um, you know, our, our founders and our uh, for-profit activities. And so that allows us to uh, put all dollars toward things like battery boxes for this field equipment, solar panels to keep it running, the cameras to hang on the trees, the long-range networking equipment, the towers to put in the field and allow line-of-sight communications into areas of the park that don't have communications. And then even more basic things like um, sometimes we encounter parks where technology isn't a fit, and so we'll uh, you know, we'll do traditional equip a ranger type programs and make sure that they've got flashlights and camel packs and binoculars and bulletproof vests and night vision goggles and things of that nature. So people really respond well to the fact that all of the support is going in very concrete directions to to make a drastic impact on the ground. And I'm really glad you mentioned all those things because a lot of people, once again, don't understand the 
literal nuts and bolts of what is needed to outfit and equip a team. Uniforms, patches, the insignia, the equipment. And, you know, it's not necessarily the sexy stuff, and you don't necessarily get to go follow your money on a Echo Safari kind of thing, but you can follow your donations through the website and see the real-time images and effects and success stories, as we've been discussing, of what is accomplished with this connected web in real time across continents. So that's really exciting. And you also partner with other organizations. We mentioned WWF and IUCN. And what is SMART? SMART is a a tool that stands for a spatial monitoring and reporting tool. It, what it is really is a smart partnership is a coalition of 10 different organizations, one of which is WPS, uh, that have come together and said, let's take a strong data orientation to um, park management and improving park operations over time, what they refer to as adaptive management. So, Uh, Fundamentally, SMART is a a tool that can run on uh, a very basic mobile device that rangers can take in the field and they can use it to enter in anything ranging from, hey, I saw an elephant with a baby at this location and it was eating this type of food to more uh, patrol type documentation like I found these three snares at this location and I cleared them off. That all gets entered back into a database, and then uh, rangers can run queries against that to say, how can I be more effective in our patrols? What area of the park hasn't been covered? Where are we seeing more poaching incursions so we can do a better job over time? So you could actually track this like on something like a, a live map, like a Google map? Uh, they produce maps. Yeah, they're uh, kind of working on the live component that's actually coming out in the next version called Smart Connect, which is uh, released uh, imminently here. That's very, very cool. So um, what what else can you tell us? Because we've got some time left here. So educate us, enlighten us. <laughs> yeah, well, I guess the the thing that I would like to impress upon people the most is to think a little bit about when you when you traditionally think of conservation, you know, we always think of the the big animals that are the real attention getters, the elephants, the rhinos, the polar bears, the, the tigers. The charismatic big and furries. Yeah, exactly. But um, spend a little bit of time with the apps that we have online because there are so, so many, uh, you know, like the the Hainan black-crested gibbon that I mentioned earlier, the northern sportive lemur of Madagascar is down to 50 individuals. And this isn't an issue that just happens, you know, around the world. The U.S., in fact, faces its own handful of species that are in the same boat. For example, the red wolf uh, that lives here in America is down to 75 individuals. So um, this is a, a global problem, and the the lesser-known species and their plight is, I think, not getting as much uh, airtime, if you will, as, as some of the others that, you know, there are 350,000 elephants left in sub-Saharan Africa. And while that is, you know, significantly down, 
it's orders of magnitude better than the the Red Wolf situation. Right, and I'm really glad you brought that up because, once again, on this program, Our Wild World, we try to highlight not just the big and furries and not just Africa, although Wild Eyes Foundation operates in Africa and Our Wild World is an educational outreach of Wild Eyes, but that's why we bring you so many experts and our guest hosts to highlight what's going on elsewhere and the other species. Because in an ecosystem, it's not just elephants, rhino, lions, or tigers. It's all the supportive species from flora and fauna that help create an ecosystem that need to be conserved. So the big and furries are, you know, they get a lot of attention, as Eric just said, but it's all the other trophic levels that when these things start to collapse, like loss of vultures or loss of a dung beetle, that the trophic cascade has consequences and ripples out across an ecosystem, which ends up in degrading the overall landscape, which makes it less inhabitable for all the species which drive the architecture of these ecosystems. So listen to some of our episodes that um, talk about how ecosystems function. So WPS is really a broad spectrum covering all the bases of this, and there's so many ways for people to get involved. Absolutely, yes, and and we welcome uh, all volunteers and partners and support that we can get because uh, you know we it's it's a it's a massive problem on a global scale and it'll ultimately take uh, you know billions of dollars if not trillions to uh, to really right the ship if you will. And that's that's over time, but as as we've been talking about recently, you know, we do have time as long as we start implementing solutions now. With the recent uh, dramatic natural disasters that have been happening all over the world, we're seeing the effects of our presence on Earth. You know, climate shifts, climate change, and how rapidly things are declining across the world and how much help is needed. So when a place faces a natural disaster, where are these people going to go? Where do the species go? So the more information, research data and volunteers, and of course donations and funding projects and businesses like WPS receive from the public, the more we can scale up our efforts globally to get on top and hopefully turn some of these things around for the future, but at least stay on top of it for the immediate real-time sense. Yeah? Absolutely. And a lot of people don't realize that, you know, dramatic recoveries can happen. Uh, a lot of people don't know that the white uh, southern white rhino was declared extinct at one point. Um, it wasn't until around the the turn of the eight, uh, 20th century that a small species or small population of 20 animals was found in Umfalozi Park in Africa. And it was from those 20 individuals that they were able to recover the species to an estimated 20,000 today. So uh, that's a great example of having a species literally come back from declared extinction. And, and though they certainly face challenges now – uh, we still view the the white rhino situation as 
sort of a conservation success story, but uh, obviously one in need of desperate attention now. Absolutely. So, you know, folks, listeners, you know, we're facing a lot of challenges right now, but the picture is not hopeless. And as I said, we have all the time in the world as long as we act. If we continue to think we have, oh, until 2020 or 2025 or 2050, then the human has a tendency to say, oh, I've got time, I'll do it later. We can't procrastinate on this, folks. We've got to get busy and we've got to address these challenges and do whatever we can on a daily basis to, to change our way of living and coexisting with the world and in our backyard and elsewhere. Because what happens elsewhere does affect what happens where we live in our backyards, let's say here in Colorado. Um, as we had said, you know, wildlife, it is necessary. It's not only the monetary benefit of ecotourism to see these species, but the ecosystem benefits that keep our planet rich and healthy, what I call the shifting our benchmark of health and wealth from the stock market of the portfolio and the Dow Jones to the stock market of what's alive on our planet. So, Eric, it's been fascinating talking with you, and I'd love to follow up uh, further along as you guys learn more. So, once again, listeners, uh, go visit the www.wildlifeprotectionsolutions.org. Check out all the amazing geekness of this. So all our geek (laughs) listeners out there that love high tech, this is really exciting. So Eric, thanks so much for your time. Thank you, Ellie. And thank you all. You bet. This has been a great conversation and we're out of time today. So folks, uh, tune in, uh, stay tuned. And meanwhile, step out into our wild world. Thank you again for joining us this week. Be sure to tune in next Monday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time for another edition of Our Wild World with your host, Ellie Weiss, on the Voice America Variety Channel. Think about living with wildlife during the coming week and what you can do right now.